0: O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether, and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Uh, today's episode: two words, Mark Kenyon. Two words, BS session. Two words, hunting gear. No, no, hunting strategy. Two more words, overrated, underrated. That's more than. That's more than two words. But anyway that's what today's episode is about we're gonna play this game right so a while ago i think it was like two weeks ago the guys on the ohio huntsman podcast did an overrated underrated episode and they talked about uh, i think firearms and calibers and all that stuff uh, i i completely ripped them off 100 percent ripped off their idea good thing they're my brothers here on the on the sportsman's nation so go check out their podcast uh, Ohio Huntsman Uh, it's a really good you know a really good podcast uh, based uh, out of uh, Ohio they talk a lot about Ohio things on out you know when it comes to the outdoors so go check them out that's my plug for them because I ripped off their idea now today's episode right is about hunting strategy and what we do is we come up with a topic right and I say all right Mark hunting bedding areas, overrated, underrated, and we share our thoughts and opinions off whatever topic or category we're choosing, right? We talk about calling gear, we talk about hunting, pinch points, staging areas, uh, we talk about food plots, all those different things. And uh, long story short, that's what today's episode is about. Short intro, quick commercials today, and we're going to get right into the episode. Uh, And today we're talking about wasp broadheads, right? Waspbartree.com. Go to their website, check it out. Badass broadheads, whether it's a mechanical or fixed blade. They have a broadhead that totally destroys deer in a very, very good way for the hunter, if you know what I mean. Uh, Marginal shots, when it comes to their jackhammers, I'm a huge fan of their jackhammers. You throw a marginal shot where it might be a little back, crush I mean it just crushes deer and I'm a huge fan of that right obviously this year I hit one lung and it was a kind of a hard quartering shot it was a little bit forward than what I would have liked it to be and that broadhead opened up it hit one lung trachea and it hit uh, a lot of different arteries above the heart and that sucker was dead in a very short period of time I'm gonna say inside 100 yards easy blood trail to follow and that's what you want in a broadhead right the most damage possible and on top of that we have their fixed blades right i'm a huge fan of their four blade uh, their boss four blades then we start talking about penetration right and and penetration behind a well-weighted arrow uh their broadheads are just dangerous straight up uh, to game and uh you need to go check out their fixed and uh mechanical options over at wasparchery.com and if you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nine fingers the number nine followed by the word fingers two zero two one nine fingers two zero two one you're going to save 20 percent off your purchase go check it out uh vortex optics no brainer title sponsor here at the uh at the nine finger chronicles these guys are doing great things with optics man if you need a quality rangefinder, binocular, spotting scope, rifle scope, red dot, you name it, they have it. Vortexoptics.com, go check it out. On top of their very high quality product line, they have a VIP warranty. And you got if you've listened to this podcast before, you know what that VIP warranty is. I beat the shit out of my equipment. There's been two times in the last seven years, I think it's been seven or eight years, where I have broken my binoculars. I have taken advantage of the VIP warranty, send it in, they fix it, send it back. I have basically a brand new pair of binoculars. That's called customer service, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Take advantage of it. Vortex Optics wants lifetime customers, all right? VortexOptics.com. And then stand, (laughs) dude. I love HuntStand it's one of those things where I'm on my phone all the time just kind of scrolling around on the map looking at landowners whose door should I knock on or if it's a, a property of mine where should I it's the ultimate digital scouting tool it allows you to know where property lines are it allows you to choose from several different base maps it allows you to put pins down like trail cameras and buck beds and tree stand locations and you know once you are able to put your boots on the ground it allows you to say okay well here, here is a rub here is a scrape here's a property line here's a, a subtle terrain feature where i really want to get a, a tree stand in uh, so the functionality for the the north american hunter is there and that is why it's the number one downloaded uh digital map hunting related app that there is right so go check out their products their product at huntstand.com right if you want more information you can go to google play store and uh, download it wherever you download your apps and uh, you can get it for free if you want their pro platform where where there's a little bit more functionality you can get uh i think it's like 30 bucks 29.99 or 30 bucks or something like that and you can upgrade to their pro, uh, pro platform so that's very affordable as well wasp vortex hunt stand uh great products great companies great people who work for those companies and that's why i like working with them and that's like why i like promoting their products to you guys so go out and support the companies that support this podcast breath let's get into today's episode three two one all right on the phone with me today mr mark canyon mark what's up dude
1: hey buddy it's good to be here well i'm just sitting here in my truck as i do recording my summer podcast and uh, (laughs) getting rained on so
0: yeah we just had a we just had a rainstorm come through iowa and dude we needed it Uh, iowa is dry
1: oh yeah Same in Idaho. This is the first rain of June. The entire month of June is the first we've got.
0: Man, that's crazy. Are there a lot of fires out there compared to previous years?
1: You know, so far right in my neck of the woods, it hasn't been bad. Um, But a fire just started close to where we live uh, last weekend. That was the first fire we saw here so far this season, but it got put out pretty quick. Uh, But the way things are looking, I wouldn't be surprised if stuff blows up soon because it's just been crazy dry and insanely hot. It's about to be in the hundreds for the next, like, 15 days or something like that, 90s to low triple digits.
0: Yeah, that's nuts, man. What are the uh, locals saying about how that affects the the elk and the mule deer and and all the wildlife out there?
1: You know, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I haven't talked to a whole bunch of people right around here about that specifically. I just think that water is just going to become more and more and more of a, you know, rare commodity that, that matters more and more. So I think once it gets to later in the season, from a hunting perspective, if you can find the water, you'll find the game. And, uh, you know, I know that it just is a stressor on all of those wildlife, right? I mean, they're used to dry conditions, but this is pretty extreme. And if we get horrible fires, that does it too. So, in general, not, not great for the big game. It's not good for the fish. I know already a lot of folks around here are talking about, you know, not fishing in the afternoons or evenings because the water temperatures are getting too high and it gets dangerous for the fish. So, you know, it's 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 not good. It's, it's not good at all.
0: Yeah. How many trail cameras you got out right now soaking back in Michigan?
1: Mm, only three. Only three. I've only got three, and then when I get back in August, that'll be full deployment mode. I'll probably put out maybe ten more. Ten maybe. more, maybe. Yeah, and then I've got two that I'm running in Idaho, uh, and then that'll probably be the extent because I'm not doing as much of like my local. Well, that's, well, I, I've got two in Idaho, three in Michigan. I'll probably put up another eight to 10 in Michigan when I get back. And then I've got two that I have at my buddy's house in Iowa that he's going to put up here in the next week. They're cell cams. And then when I go back out to Iowa in August, I'll probably put up another three or four or something like that. So, you know, I'll I'll have 15 or something like that out once the summer is all said and done. And then there'll be a bunch of other trips I'm doing that'll be just kind of show up and hunt, uh, figure out as you go without, any pre-existing camera knowledge. So yeah. it'll be a little bit different compared to previous years where i have you know, hunted like three properties the whole season.
0: So. Yeah. I'll tell you this, man. I, f- I think I'm behind schedule. I have one trail camera out right now. And, uh, I said to my, I always say to myself, Hey, I got to get them out by, you know, the first couple weeks of June. That's my goal every year these days. And I'm behind and I don't see myself going and getting them out this weekend or next week at all. But, my goal is my real goal is hopefully by the beginning of the third week in July, I can get out there, which puts me at a first card pull around the August 1st timeframe. So that's when I saw on one of your Instagram posts, you're like trying to judge everybody's excitement level for the upcoming season, like based off one yeah. to 10. And I had to answer a six because I have I'm no a little like, disappointed. I know. Right. I, I feel disappointed in myself. I am a, <laughs> like I, I'm usually jacked by this point because I, I know that by July 1st I'll have a card pull under my belt. But this year I'm not going to probably I probably won't have a card pull until, June, August 1st ish, uh, unless I you know throw a cell cam out there somewhere. But man, I just I, I feel behind. I feel inadequate. I feel like I feel like for someone in my position I should be on the game a little bit more. <laughs>
1: Have you at least seen some some good bucks out in the field yet? You've been doing any little neighborhood drive around?
0: Yeah, um, nothing serious. No, nothing that I would really consider a shooter. But you know, there, I, me and my boy were out the other night and just kind of cruising, and we saw. Well, my daughter was with us too, and we saw three, uh, maybe two year olds. I'd have to say, out in a clover field, and they were just munching, and they were, you know, half grown, probably one. Hundred, you know, hundred inch bucks or hundred and twenty inch, somewhere yeah. right around there, and that that was like, oh, cool. They're, you cool. know, the it's starting. You know what I mean? Yep.
1: Gotta love it. Yeah. Gotta love it. I know that. Uh, oh, that first good buck you see that actually looks like, you know, when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, that's that bucks a good one. That's yeah. when I start getting really amped. When you start seeing what they're gonna be. Um, which is usually sometime in July when they get enough on them that you realize, you know, this isn't just the main beams and the brow time. This is like, oh, that's that's a buck. Yeah, that's uh, I love I love July and August when you start getting to that point.
0: Yeah, especially when you have returning customers, right? When you have that, uh, you know, that yeah. buck you passed as a three year old or or whatever you had an encounter with a deer and you're like, hey, that's uh, Jim Bob or whatever the name you give that buck or or whatever and it's i don't know man that's when i start to that's when i get excited when i know there's a um a deer from the previous year or the year before and what i'm honestly what i'm really excited about is this uh crop rotation for me this year is where my property seems to hold more more deer throughout the entire year or throughout the entire hunting season
1: so remind me what that means for you is it is it when you've got more beans or more corn that's better for this area
0: so uh i call this a i call this a bean year but the property uh the areas that i hunt have more corn on it the the tops are all beans and the corn is all bottoms and that's what um there's more beans up top and there's more corn down in the uh, but there's corn in the bottom not as much but for some reason that corn just sucks them all in in that october and november time frame and so that's that's what i feel keeps them closer but then once it's picked they stick around until it's all munched out of the out of the field and then they'll kind of disperse and definitely after shotgun season they're gone but for me i've had better ruts better encounters with bigger deer on this crop cycle than uh you know the previous year or, or what will happen next year that's good news yeah yep yep so Today's episode is a shoot from the hip BS session where we're going to uh, play this little game called overrated, underrated, and I, I completely ripped this off from another uh, podcast on the Sportsman's Nation, the Ohio Huntsman pro- uh, podcast. These guys did it, and I'm, rip- I'm straight ripping it off, and we're going to talk overrated, accurately rated, underrated on a, t- on a hunting strategy topic. We're gonna talk our way through it. we're gonna talk uh give each other scenarios and and uh a little asterisk on this podcast is we understand that not everybody hunts the same, and you know there are gonna be some things that are uh you know obviously it's underrated if you if you could do these things, but for someone in my position or you know, differently in your position, Mark, uh, it may be a different answer. So this is going to be kind of a just for fun episode and I wouldn't take it too terribly serious, but, uh, we're going to, we're going to have fun with it anyway. What do you think about that?
1: I think it's good, except for I think everybody listening should take this very serious. If they disagree (laughs) with you on something, Dan, I think they should send you really mean emails if they disagree.
0: Death threats, (laughs) just straight death threats from here on out. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Mark Kenyon. First topic overrated, accurately rated, underrated. We're going to talk about tree stand locations. Okay. And okay. The, fir- the first stand, tree stand, however you hunt, off the ground, I don't care, location we're going to talk about is pinch points. Are pinch points over, under, accurate?
1: Hmm. You know what? I think that they are. I'm going to say it's accurate.
0: Okay, and explain. And
1: my first, my first thought was to say overrated, but then I'm going to go back to under or, or accurately rated because you hear pinch points a lot. Like that is a term that's thrown around a ton, um, and maybe the generic idea of a. Maybe it's over, I don't know, I'm just going to stick with what I'm saying. It's, it's something that's talked about a ton, and so you could say it's hyped a lot, and it's it's highly rated. But I do think it is highly rated for good reason, because pinch points, at least the right ones, do something that almost nothing else in the whitetail world can do, which is naturally move deer in a constricted area, right? We're constantly trying to find ways to move deer where we want them whether that be by you know people putting out bait or people planting food plots or people putting you know mock scrapes in the ground or people putting out some stinky scent or something right or calling deer we're trying to find any way we can get deer to come to a spot where we want them right and that's not easily done there are very few things that allow that to happen naturally and a pinch point is one of those things so a pinch point is any kind of natural feature that funnels movement without human impact, without humans having to put a food plot or having to call them or having to put a decoy out or anything. If you can find that, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that might work depending on the scenario. It might help you out at any time of the year, right? I mean, pinch points are obviously talked about during the rut a lot because they're trying to find places where bucks are traveling between doe bedding to doe bedding and they're funneled down to some area in between those spots. Like that's your, typical pinch point that people talk about but you can also find and take advantage of pinch points in the early season or any time of season when you find something in between where deer beds and where it feeds and deer trying to get from point a to point b and you the dilemma we all have at that point is: okay if we know where point a and point b is now we got to try to figure out how to get in between those two spots yeah. and in some cases that can be really hard to figure out if it's random movement. But if you can find anywhere along that route where movement has to be funneled down, where it's pinched down, maybe figure out, okay, I think deer bed bedding this thick stuff and I think they're feeding it here. And then I would just randomly walk in between those two spots until I found a rub or something or a track or a scrape and like, oh, this looks good, and I'd set up. And obviously that's not a good way to see consistent movement. But if you can find some kind of natural feature – that pushes more deer to walk in one specific area than another, like let's say if we're imagining this hypothetical point A to point B scenario and then there's just timber in between the two. Um, If you found that there was a decent-sized creek that runs across that piece and there's only one or two spots that are shallow enough for deer to easily get across it, well, all of a sudden you found a natural pinch point. And now there's your tightest, most concentrated amount of movement in this large stretch, the deer might be traveling between. Um, so, so really I'm thinking about pinch points at all points of the year. Um, it might not be the number one thing I'm focusing on right in the early season. Like number one, I got to know where the good food is, let's say, or I need to know where the right bedding is. But then when you're trying to fine tune it from there, it's okay. Is there any kind of pinch? Is there any kind of natural funnel of movement between here that I can take advantage of too? Um, so I think, I think I'm changing my answer. I'm changing my answer not from just accurate, but I'm saying underrated because pinch points aren't just a rut thing. Yeah. They really can be something you think about at all parts of the year. Now, different kind of pinch point, but something that could be utilized and thought of from September right on to January.
0: Yeah. Again, you know, all all these questions are loaded because we can all. Uh, provide a scenario where a pinch point is near a bedding area or near a food source or you know some whether it's early season or, or late season, right? Definitely. Yeah. So I on the other hand, um and I'll I'll explain my answer, but I think pinch points in the grand scheme of things are overrated, right? And mm. Yeah, and here uh, do I hunt? Do I hunt a lot of pinch points throughout the year? Yes, I do. But I also am saying um, it, they're overrated because at that point, if I'm hunting a pinch point, it's because I have lost or I can't find uh, a, a shooter to go after. All right, and so with if I identify if I have already identified where this deer is located, I'm going to get as close to his quote unquote betting area as I think I can. Right. Or a staging area before a food source or um, you know, my last, my last option would be some kind of pinch point. But like I just said, you know, I, we could have a, a, a different conversation based off different scenarios. So my thought process here is I don't, I, I don't have a buck picked out. I can't find uh, one of my uh, hit listers or I can't, you know, I'm having trouble or I've lost some or maybe I bumped him uh, a different deer. So what I'm doing is I'm going to a well-known pinch point as, a, as uh, either an observation sit or a last resort, hoping something comes through it one way or the other, whether it's a morning or an afternoon hunt, to try to put myself into position strictly on odds, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And I get what you're saying. Yeah. And I think the difference is, like, there's some kinds of pinch points that operate only as, like, a rut kind of random right. movement pinch point, like what you're describing. And then there's these, like, micro pinches, which I think you can find in any scenario. So even yeah. in your situation where you're saying your your favorite scenario would be you know where this buck's betting. You're trying to get as close as possible to where he bets, right? Yeah, I think... What you want to look for is, okay, yeah, well, I think I know where this buck bed Now we're trying to figure out where, how he's going to come out. And when you're trying to find the spot within the spot, right, we talked about this a lot over the years, trying to find the spot within the spot. I think finding these like mini pinches, like there's a curve in the bend of a creek where they're going to move this way 30 more yards versus the other. And like there's a little bit of a constricted movement. Or maybe there's some dead falls, you know, over the 100 yard stretch, there's a whole bunch of like tinder, like matchsticks down, broken trees. And then you notice that there's a 30 yard stretch on this side where it opens up. Yeah. So all of a sudden, finding these little mini pinches might just help you fine tune how to best hunt your bedding setup or your early season setup or your yeah. October 20th, you know, transition area setup. I think it's it's looking at pinches in a different way yeah. might might make them more useful.
0: And you know, now that you you put it into that perspective, what I'll say is all of my tree stands that I hunt are in an area where the deer movement is the highest. Even if it's in yeah. flat ground and there's not necessarily a terrain feature that dictates movement, there's going to be something yep. there like edge, right, that, that's that been created or something that's going to, the deer going to work that edge. And there may not be a land terrain feature that uh, dictates that, uh, that or that creates that pinch point, but something else that creates that pinch point that's not necessarily... You know, landscape focused.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So, all right. So now, um, this is, and I'll, I'll I'm going to, I'm going to go first because this is throughout all of the years, through all, all my, I man, I don't even know, uh, 26, uh, 36, 15. So I'm going to be 41 this fall. So that puts me at somewhere around 15 years of serious hardcore type hunting you know i'm not going to add all the other stuff before that but when i was 26 is when i my focus changed Uh, i got serious into strategy and all that stuff leading to where i'm at today so we're gonna i'm just gonna say 15 years of that thought mentality towards uh hunting strategy and the the topic on this one is staging areas and i and, and i'm 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 adding in conversations that I've had with several hunters throughout the year, basically me trying to talk them off field edges to get into a staging area or get into the timber more if, you know, if they have the ability to do that. So the topic is staging areas. And I am here to say a staging area is 100% underrated at all times of year. And I think it's because deer have this, like, they don't just blow into fields unless it's the rut, right? I've never seen a buck just stomp right out into the middle of the field and just, like, set up shop. And, like, I'm here, you know, real aggressive. They've always come into an area to chill. That's where I find a majority of the sign. That's where I'm finding the scrapes, the rubs, um, uh, where edge may potentially uh, meet a pinch point or something like that. Uh, you know, we've talked about entering in the lowest point of a field. And so I'm telling you that my favorite place to hunt throughout all times of year is some form of staging area before a food source. And that can also be another food source, like a an acorn tree or something like that. So underrated Staging areas, Mark, what do you think?,
1: I hate to do this, but I'm gonna to have to agree with you, Dan. Oh
0: shit, um, Mark it down. I'm gonna get a tattoo of this <laughs> date on my <laughs> on my wrist. yeah,
1: I think you're right. I think um I think it's it's exactly what you said, especially mature bucks. they're just even in you know whatever state you live in. There's gonna be its own version of this, its own degree of this. But these bucks didn't get old for, you know, they didn't get old by accident. So these deer naturally have learned that it's gonna be a safer, it's gonna be a better bet for survival if they ease their way into these places and those transition zones, those staging areas. That that's where that happens. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I've hunted a lot of spots where I didn't have a lot of access to staging i've had like and we've talked many times about a couple of the places i hunt that are almost all field edge and very little wooded cover and i've just painfully had to watch these bucks hang out just inside the cover over and over and over again I w- i'm swearing to myself god if only i could be 50 more yards over that way and so i've seen the downside of not having access to those staging areas and then i've also seen the upside of in places that i did get access to where i could be in there Oh, what a difference it makes to push in even a little bit off the field edge, Um, depending on the terrain and everything that can make a big difference. So, so yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to understate what a difference that can make, but it's, but it's also hard for a lot of hunters to make that move into there for two reasons. Number one. I mean, and we all know this, field badgers are fun to hunt because you see stuff. You've got a great view. You might even feel like you've got more shooting opportunities because you've got lanes out to that wide open. So it's, it's always very tempting to hunt a spot you can see a lot and it's tempting to say, well, if I can see stuff, I can call to it or I'll know how to adjust tomorrow or whatever. Um, yeah, the second thing that makes pushing into the staging area sometimes difficult for people is that there is that worry like every – Ten, twenty, fifty yards further I go into the cover, the more likely it is you are to bump something, right And I've definitely had my years of paranoia about that where I've been paralyzed by worry that if I go any further, I'm gonna spook that buck and never see him again. Um, and, and all those things are a worry because there is some truth to that. You just need to kind of learn like what's that what's that line you can walk and get away with it and it takes experience to figure that out. yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, when you make that shift from targeting just any deer to trying to kill a mature deer, it, it really, you have to approach them differently. And one of the first things is you, you usually have to stick in the cover or very, you know, as close to the cover as you can get it because that's, that's where the big old guys like to
0: hang out. Yeah. And just uh, on, a, on a side note here, uh, you may, everything you just mentioned is right, right? Even for new hunters who are having, having trouble, let's just say, killing their first deer, That's not a bad strategy as well, because what the cover is going to do is, and if you have your tree stand in the right location, it's going to get deer closer to you and not just way out in a, in a field or, or, you know, seeing them and then potentially having to make a move. I just feel like that is a, that's a a good strategy for anyone at any level.
1: Yeah, you, you can't go wrong with it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Here is another one. And. This is something that you do a little bit of, I don't do any of, and that is hunting over a food plot. Mark.
1: Um, I will say it is overrated okay. when executed on improperly. So what I would say is that food plots absolutely have become like ubiquitous in hunting media, right? So if you watch a hunting TV show or read a magazine, it's changed a little bit over the last five to 10 years. Um, But still, I mean, you're going to see food plots everywhere. And for that reason, you know, everyone thinks they have to have one and thinks you got to hunt over one and that everyone's deer hunt should involve a perfectly manicured uh, field of clover and a big giant buck that just stomps across the middle of it to 20 yards and stands there and lets you shoot it. And and that just does not happen in most scenarios that average folks are in. Um, and so I would say for that reason, it's overrated because like what's portrayed on TV and stuff in a lot of situations just isn't very realistic. And it's also a lot harder to pull off than people realize. Yeah. And so what I think you see people do is if they do try to do something like this, they try to replicate what they see on TV. They try to make this great, big, huge field, perfectly manicured, cut, green, not a single weed, and they want to sit on the edge of it, and they want to see 50 deer, and they want those deer to you know, be big and easy to kill and all that. But there's so many things that can go wrong in that scenario. Number one, when you're hunting food plots, it's often hard to get something in range if you're hunting these big fields that a lot of people see on TV or that they dream of, um, if you're bow hunting at least, right? Having a big old open field and hunting right on the edge of it, as we just discussed, is not always a great way to get a shot of mature buck, especially in pressured areas. Um, So there's one knock on it. Second knock on it is that entry, like access, getting in and out of any kind of field edge set is notoriously difficult to do. And a lot of people don't think about that when they're planting food plots. They'll find their one big opening they have in the property and they'll say, ooh, this has got to be food. I saw so-and-so do this in the outdoor channel and so they're going to plant four acres of clover, or brassicas or whatever right in this place and then not ever think about the fact that every time they want to go hunt, they have to walk past it. So they're going past it in the mornings and they're spooking deer, whether they know it or not. And then at the end of the night, they're walking past this field again and whether they realize it or not, they're spooking deer. And so you get this attract and repel scenario where you're attracting deer to this food plot you planted, but then you're spooking them away because you're walking past it or you're hunting right in the edge of it. And then at the end of the night, you're getting out of your tree and blowing the field out as you go back to your truck. So all those things can make food plots overrated. Um, I will will hedge that though by saying that they absolutely can make a positive difference for you if you're in a scenario that you can plant them. Um, I mean, I've certainly benefited from them on a couple properties that hunt in michigan um i'll just tell you that like, i've learned a lot of things throughout that process there's been things i've tried that didn't work uh like i just described and then there are things that have worked so i found that smaller is better a lot of times i'd rather have something small where deal deer, deer feel comfortable moving out in daylight and where i can also get in and out without spooking a ton of deer um i've also realized like access is really important as i just described um I've also come to realize that hunting right on the edge of them, while sometimes can work if you've got a good plan for getting out of there, uh, isn't always the right option. The right option is what we just discussed, which is staging. So if you even if you hunt, even if you have food plots, think about how you hunt them more from how do I hunt the staging on the way to the food plot versus right in it. I can't tell you how many times on one of these properties that I hunt where I had a couple small food plots that I thought I could pull off the mark jury hunt i could sit right in the field and have them come out and then for years and years and years never once did any one of these mature or semi-mature bucks ever come out into the food plot during daylight i'd see them but they'd be 40 yards back in the timber or they'd be 10 yards back in the timber they'd be 100 yards back in the timber so finally like three years ago i started shifting all my stands in the timber where i could even like 10 yards into it and right away i was you know, having a much better chance at least of getting a shot at these deer. Yeah. So so they can certainly be a part of a, of a smart hunting strategy. They can absolutely make a positive difference in the kind of activity you have on a farm, but they're not the magic bean. They yeah. don't cure everything, especially if you're not real strategic about it.
0: Would your answer change if I said to you, late season now, and it's only a late December, early January time frame? I
1: would tell you that everything I just said still has to still have to happen. Yeah. So you still need to be really careful about your placement. You still need to have the access and entry figured out. You still might want to consider getting off of the edge. Um, but certainly they can be like insanely attractive at that time of the year and can really, really increase your odds. Okay. Um, so, so they are, if you have the ability to do it and you can do it in the right way, I mean, they can be world changers. Yeah. So in that case, if done right,
0: uh, accurately portrayed. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know I hunt in this giant land of ag, right? Where I pretty much have food plots all over the place. Uh, and I, I, I use where ag is located to make decisions on where I hang my set. Now, what about, Someone who is, and I know you do a little hunting up in northern Michigan, that is a lot of big woods, not a lot of ag, does your answer change yet again, if any, if uh, that is your hunting location where there's little to no ag, all pine, like big pine type stands?
1: Yeah, so I would say it's similar to the late season example Okay, in that if you do everything right, they're super duper attractive because they represent this unique thing that they can't get anywhere else um yeah i do think food plots can still help in super ag land like i do that in areas with tons of ag and they still help because they get movement if you do them the right way they can help maneuver movement where you want a little bit better or you can get them to come and have their appetizer with you before they go to the main field yada yada but when you do it up in northern michigan like we did um and it becomes like the only filet mignon in town you can't even get a shitty steak anywhere like this is your only steak in town is right here uh then yeah it it definitely makes a difference so as long as you check those other boxes it can make a you know a big difference now it's not going to light the world on fire and change things dramatically so for example up in my northern michigan property where we hardly saw any deer at all ever i'd seen like four bucks in 15 years hunting there um We planted some food plots. We created some small openings. And it wasn't like it went from what I just described to seeing 20 deer a night and big bucks all the time. Uh, That hasn't happened. But it did change it to, hey, we're getting a doe family group or two hanging in the area almost daily. We never had that before. And when the rut hits, we have multiple bucks, multiple like three-year-old or older bucks cruising through during the rut, which we never had before. And in like a, a somewhat concentrated area. Um, so yeah, like they can make a difference. It's just, you just don't want to pin your entire hopes and dreams on them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm not even gonna, here's what I will say. I will, I will say that hunting a, a food plot, given my circumstances, uh, putting in food plots is, is overrated. Like for, for the style that I hunt, and I'm not going to go into it because you pretty much just covered everything that, um, I was going to say anyway, so yeah, food plots. But I, I will I will say this, if you have the ability to plant a food plot and you've never done it before, I've done it once, and I will say this, I I really I really think someone sh- should try, just try it, even if it's just raking a, a half an acre or a quarter acre and you know spreading some clover on it and just letting nature take its uh, you know course or or something by going to the sporting goods store and buying something. It's, I think it's called throw and go where you just throw it and walk away and it creates a a mini food plot. I would say, give it a try and then make a decision on whether, whether or not you like it. Or if you want to take that next step and go into a a bigger food plot type uh, strategy for whatever property it is you're hunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd second that. I mean, I, I totally, while I don't ever want to be dependent on it, I, I have, really come to enjoy it. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's not, it's not an easy thing. It's a lot of work, but it can be really cool because it forces you to learn your land in a different way. You've got to learn about this whole other set of things, how sun and rain and soil and all that, you know, influences nature. Uh, so just an awesome educational experience. And then it is really, it is really satisfying to have done all that work and then get rain and then come out there a month later and see deer coming out and feeding in on it, or turkeys pecking away at bugs in it, or whatever. I mean, that is that's an awesome feeling. I, I really, I really do love that part of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, uh, on the other end of it, it could be extremely frustrating. Like what I did is I didn't take a soil sample. I overseeded. Nothing happened, and the deer didn't even use it. So, uh, and then I just got a little pissed because I wasted <laughs> wasted all that money. But I learned something, yep. right? what it's all about that's what it's all about all right last last stand location and uh it's bedding areas now hunting a bedding area comes with some benefits and some difficulties so mark bedding areas hunting a bedding area Mm. i am going to say
1: this i'm gonna say it is overrated to hunt bedding areas, but not overrated to have a really strong understanding of bedding areas and where they are. I think like understanding where they are and how deer use them is task number one, like the very most important thing. But the idea of like the the, the trendiest thing in the world right now is like hunting a buck bed, right? I mean for the last five years that's like the hottest thing. Everyone wants to kill a buck in bed. Yeah, and I'm gonna say that's overrated. Not because it can't work; uh, it can work. But I think a lot of people try to execute on that strategy in a set of circumstances very different from the experts they hear talking about it. Right. So by that I mean this: when you hear Dan Infall talk about hunting buck beds, or you hear the guys at the hunting public talk about hunting buck beds you got to understand that these guys have got dozens and dozens and dozens of different locations they're hunting. They've got thousands of acres of public land that they're hunting over and they've got a whole lot of time to do it. They are not locked into their family farm and that's it, or their couple local properties. So when they go in and bust into a buck bedding area and 9.5 times out of 10 it doesn't work out and they blow those deer out, it's not a big deal because they'll go to the next one. Um, So if you have like throw-and-go type of locations where you've got enough public land that you can do this and you don't care if you burn it out, go for it. I mean, yeah, that is a way that people have found success. Um, but my my hedge on it is that not everyone does have that, or not everyone has the time to do it that way. And and if you try to take that approach, but you only have access to a 60-acre farm that your family owns, and for whatever reason you haven't been able to get permission elsewhere, you can't afford to go other places or whatever it is if you try to apply that idea on a small piece and it's the only piece you hunt and you're doing that every weekend through october or something you're you're burning your place out in a crazy yeah. way and you are not going to enjoy the benefits of it yeah. so so that is why i would say that generically hunting like the buck bed that kind of thing would be overrated but i will tell you understanding where you think those bucks bed understanding where you think those bed, that should be like the center of all your hunting decisions. Like that's where deer moving begins and ends. And so whenever I'm thinking about where I want to hunt, my thought process begins and ends there too. So um, so that would be one way to think about it. Um, certainly don't want to discount the importance of doe bedding areas during the rut. Right. That's a huge thing. But, but that, you know, with that specific take on it, that's how I'd rate it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, now that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it, it's it's so hard to answer these questions, right? Because we don't just make black and white off and on decisions when we when we select oh, yeah. our our uh, our uh, stand locations, right? So um, I I look at I look at a bedding area, right, and I say just like you, it's the center of the universe when it comes to where deer are living through most of the daylight. You know the places that we can actively hunt hunt them, but my answer for doe bedding changes throughout the entire year, right? So, you know, let's just say October first, am I going to go hunt downwind of a bedding area? Unless I have intel on a buck, I'm probably not. I'm probably not going to go hunt uh, uh, mornings in on October first, trying to catch something, come back to a bedding area, right? Just because yeah. they're they're there before. Uh, the sun comes up and you're just, you, you have a real good chance of a getting busted or like you said, getting burnt, burnt out, or they bed in front of you. And now you're sitting there all day, October 1st. So you don't blow this thing out. Right. And then they get yeah. up and they go, go the other direction. Right. So that risk versus reward that we always talk about is, is there's too much risk for that. Meaning I'm saying it's overrated early season. But now comes the breeding season. Right. And that's when I say, get it and go in. And it's underrated. You know, it's underrated to hunt downwind of a, um, a bedding area during the, uh, you know, during the the breeding season, the, the quote unquote, the rut. And uh, I think everybody should have uh, a tree stand downwind of a bedding area, whatever bedding area you think that is. Right. So. Yeah. The other thing, and you nailed you nailed this, because hunting beds specifically is so niche that for me, I don't think a buck uses, uh, where I hunt, I don't think a buck is using the same exact bed every single day on the same exact winds. It's just, it's just not happening or, you know, on different winds, excuse me, in different winds. They are bouncing from ridges. They have, they, they put adjustments into where they bed on every slight wind shift because they can. Uh, it's yeah. not like a marsh is dictating them to only high ground or right. water or um, cover, let's say, if, if you're out in the wide open. So, you know, I will say that it is on that line between accurately rated and under or overrated it, and it can it can lean one way or the other depending on what time of year it is if that makes sense
1: yeah
0: yeah for so sure. so you know so you mentioned that hunting beds in, in in certain scenarios is is overrated i want you to tell me now what your favorite go-to setup is like if, if you just had a, if you could dictate time and space and you could make it whatever time of year, any time of year, wh- where is it? We've talked about food plots. We've talked about, um, pinch points. We've talked about staging areas. We've talked about bedding areas. Do you have a favorite stand location that has just worked for you throughout the years?
1: Does it have to be my favorite as far as just what I enjoy, or does it have to be the thing that has been the absolute most effective?
0: Uh, let's, let's say most effective.
1: All right. If I had to say the most effective, it would be something you just spent some time preaching on, which is inside or just on the edge of some awesome bedding cover in the first or second week of November. Um, and if you can somehow have there be some kind of pinch or some kind of, like, concentration, like, reason why there's going to be a little bit more movement where you are within that bedding area or downward of that bedding area, even better. Yeah. You know, in a perfect world, that's what I'd like to find. Like, I'd like to be just on the edge, the downwind side of that doe bedding area, where there's some kind of feature that puts more deer within range of me than, than otherwise. And then I'd love for there to be, you know, the most attractive food in the world, um, you know, on the the other side of me so that these deer will be in the mornings. There's going to be a lot of deer coming in that bedding area bucks, checking it all day. And then in the afternoon, as does start filtering out of that bedding area and heading towards that amazing food source, you're going to have that line of movement now going past you in the afternoon. And then all the bucks hitting that too. So it's like an all day kind of thing. It's, you know, of course the rut provides all sorts of fun, exciting stuff going on that can lead to success. And I just don't think you can beat that kind of scenario for consistent results. I mean, if there's a good buck, if there's bucks in the area, they're going to hit those primo betting areas like that. It's just a matter of finding the spot within the spot that you can actually get a shot with a bow. Yeah. Um, so if I had to say like best success, that's it. You, if you put a gun in my head and say, you got to kill a buck today, I'm going to pick something like that on November 8th or something like that. Yeah. If you were to ask me the other version of the question, I'll just go ahead and, answer that too if you don't mind yeah um which is like your favorite kind of hunt if i had to pick my favorite kind of hunt as as much fun as that all day in a rut kind of thing can be my absolute favorite is like september 1st or october 1st depending on what state i'm in and i'm sitting just inside the cover from a dynamite early season food source and i just go in there for the evening hunt I get in there maybe four hours before dark, and you get up in that tree, and it's one of the first hunts of the year. Maybe it is the first hunt of the year. And you just know that there are going to be deer pouring out to this alfalfa field or this little food plot or this bean field or whatever it is, and it's just jacked. You are just jacked full of anticipation, and maybe there's a little bit of a cold front that came through, so you just know that, gosh, these deer are going to be on their feet. They're going to be hitting the food. And, you know, a couple hours before daylight, the first fawn comes out of the field and then mama doe and then another family doe group. And then the first year and a half old buck. And then you're starting to think, like, OK, yeah, it's all working out. Nothing's winding me. The deer are moving early. And then you get to like an hour before dark. And then that first two year old steps out, gets to the edge of the field or walks past you, looks this way, looks that way, goes on out the field. And now there's 12 deer out there feeding Everything's comfy and happy and hunky dory and then your excitement keeps ramping up more and more. The sun's going down. The temperature is dropping. The crickets are really chirping really loud now. The wind is just like six, seven miles an hour. There's just enough wind that it's consistent, but it's not howling too much. And you're, you're at this point, you stand up. You're like, okay, any time now it could happen. The shadows are lengthening. Now you see that big body step out from way back in the timber, and you just think, oh. This is it. And it's like 20 minutes left of daylight. He slowly starts moving his way. And then maybe if you're in a really cool area, maybe another one steps out. Um, if you're in the right places, you might see a bunch of deer like that. Uh, I just love super early season on a food source when you're just, the season's just beginning and that kind of scenario plays out. And you see a bunch of deer comfortable coming out to feed on a kind of pattern that you can observe and adjust on, um, Especially in high deer density areas where you can just see a bunch of deer, that is just a really, really fun, fun, fun hunt.
0: And then for some reason, chainsaw starts up and scares all the deer away, <laughs>
1: <laughs> or yeah, the landowner not, comes on
0: his four wheeler. That's not how I picture it. In my dreams, I do. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so, yeah, my my answer to that question is flipped. So my dude, I I I love. Like my favorite is I have a, a stand that's downwind of a bedding area or it flanks uh, a bedding area and I hunt it on, it's, it's on the east side of a bedding area and I hunt it on a north-northwest, straight north or a north-northwest wind. And I could, I just, you know, I'm not a huge fan of sitting all day, but in that stand, I will sit there until noon, maybe some days right I, I mean I'm, I'm sitting there longer than any other place that I hunt and that is where I'm seeing the most deer uh, throughout the, the, the whole morning right just watching bucks cruising in and out of this bedding area watching a doe you know pop up when a two year old bumps bumps her and she makes these hot laps around trying to lose him, then beds down again and he you know he's so stupid he, he walks right by her and that's the that's the scenario that I love it's my favorite but as far as effectiveness, for me, it's a staging area, like you described, all day. Like I'm not hunting all day, but that's the decision. If you gave me, if if you gave me four hours to go hunt any time of year, I would. That is where I would pick. And I just have had so many good deer so close to me uh, in staging areas that have that. You know, the Holy Trinity, the the food. The edge, the terrain, all come through in in this staging area. That man is just—it's money. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it, dude.
1: Yeah, I hope that your stoke level has risen from a six after this conversation, Dan,
0: because mine has at least. (laughs) I'll I'll put it at a seven. Okay, I'll put it at seven. I don't want to get too crazy because I, you know, I'm 40 now, so I might—I get a little tired (sighs) by the end of the day.
1: I thought you were gonna say you don't have the kind of endurance you used to have. So <laughs> if you get too if you get too excited, you might be done real quick.
0: <laughs> I just need a little bit longer time to recover than I was when I was twenty. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, just a couple more here, and we can do this in a speed round version. Okay. Blind calling. Go. Overrated. Overrated. I, I agree. Overrated. Uh, real quick reason for that.
1: Uh, it's just, it doesn't work all that often, not especially not compared to what you see on TV. And it actually, I think leads to more risks where you might bring attention to yourself in a scenario that you don't want attention to yourself, whether that be a doe looking up at you and then all of a sudden getting spooky or maybe some buck does hear it and comes in downwind to you and you never know it and he sees you or smells you or whatever. Um, so I almost never blind call
0: anymore. Okay. I agree. With the same answer. All right, so the next is deer are within earshot or, uh, or you can see them, okay? Rattling horns. Overrated, underrated, accurate rated.
1: Overrated. Overrated. Uh, but I only say that because most of my hunting is in heavily pressured state of Michigan, and it just doesn't work for shit in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, if, if I was in... Iowa or Kansas or Nebraska or something where there's lower hunter density and more mature bucks, I think it certainly can work pretty well. But I, I don't even bring rattling antlers half the time in most states I hunt around me.
0: Yeah. I am from Iowa. I do hunt Iowa. And I still agree with you that rattling antlers are overrated. Um, just from all the years, all the, the tree stand time that I've had, man, uh, you'll call in a two-year-old you'll call in a three year old. But for the most part, a big mature buck is not beelining it on the law based off the law of averages, uh, is not beelining it like a young deer does to rattling antlers. And that is yeah. why I very rarely rattle anymore. So the whole the whole point, right, is to be in position of where they're coming through, not have to call them in.
1: So yeah. much much rather have option A.
0: All right, now here's where my answer differs. Grunt call. Not blind calling, but if you see something.
1: Uh, I would say accurately. uh, Accurately rated in that I think it's super important to have with you. I think, you know, I'd say more times than not it doesn't work still. Still but it works enough that I still view it as very valuable. And when I see a buck, it's absolutely something I'm going to do. Whether I'm in Michigan or elsewhere, um, Grunt Tube is is absolutely worth giving a shot with. So maybe six times out of ten it doesn't work, but four times out of ten, 40% of the time, give or take, you know, that's plenty good enough odds for me. So I'd say I think Grunt Tube's get love, and I think it's, it's just enough love.
0: Yeah. Based off of the scenarios that I've been a part of throughout the years, I'm going to have to say a grunt call is an underrated and underutilized piece of uh, calling equipment. Uh, I, I, on the other hand, have had a, several, several positive experiences hitting that one. Blah, and then that patient's game yeah. weight kicks in for both of us, right? So it's like you can't call anymore. You can't call any, And we see who fails first. So they'll just turn their head and they'll they'll look and they'll look and they'll look. Yeah. And f- for the most part, and I've, you know, I've overcalled with a grunt tube on many occasions as well, where they come in, they've, they've heard it. And then they're just like, oh man, I don't see anything. So I'm going to bounce. But then if I hit him with that one little grunt, and then they get curious enough, and then they come in. I've had that work so many times, not not necessarily on deer that I've killed, but just getting deer close. Like, what is that out there? Well, I'm going to hit them with a grunt and see if they come in. Yeah. And they come in, and they may not be a shooter, but they still come in. And so for me, yeah. dude, a grunt call is, I think it's underrated.
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, you can't, I can't understate it either, how, yeah. how much how important I think they are and how useful they can be. And, and, and subtle grunting. You don't need to be crazy aggressive with Like you just said, like that little contact grunt, that's underrated for sure. Just a little like brat. That's, you know, you don't need to rip and roar on these things to get their attention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else really. Mark, do you have any topic that we need to, that we need to discuss? Hmm snacks mm. snacks mm. snacks in the tree snacks? like
1: uh underrated
0: underrated yeah it's a, have it's a mindset thing for me right i don't yeah. drink i don't drink pop and i don't eat like candy or chocolate in the tree like i'll get a bag of baby carrots and i'll just slowly work on it all morning or all afternoon and for me, it's just I don't know. It's it's a, it puts me in a good mindset. And if I have too much sugar, I crash, and then I'll be tired and not focused and, and whatever. So, definitely snacks, man. I'm a, a snacks are underrated. What's your, what's your go to snack?
1: You know, I've had someone ask me this before. I don't really have a go to snack. It usually, like I don't have any one favorite. Um, but some of the things that often end up in my backpack would be like. Peanut butter filled pretzels, the little peanut butter filled pretzel nuggets. Yeah, um, an apple is the absolute thing I bring a lot. Um, granola bars, I really love the Sun. Oh God, what's the brand? It's something Sun, something Sun granola bar brand. It's the only one. I hate uh, Quaker Oats granola bars. I don't like those Nature Valley really crunchy ones a whole lot. I'll eat them, but I don't crave them. But Sun Valley or something like that. They're chewing. I think that's what it is. They're just right. And I highly recommend those as a tree stand snack. Um, And then, you know, I will do some sugary things. I do like the little mini candy bars and stuff because a lot of times snacks for me, at least during the rut, it's like that little reward you can give yourself for staying focused for another hour and to stay on the tree for another hour. So I time my snacking throughout the day to be like, I don't know you're trying to train a little dog and so every hour i'll say okay if you can just make it this next hour you're gonna get that three pack of oreos <laughs> if you can make it another hour you get that twix and so i'm okay you know eating unhealthy stuff giving myself those little things because that's you know i've got something special to look forward to i've got that little burst of something i'm not going to eat back at home maybe that will keep me out there and keep me just in the you know give you that little extra boost of positivity And I do think that all those little things can help because especially those long days in the rut, it's freezing cold. It's so easy to lose focus or to get tired or to get discouraged or to want to get out of your tree stand and go home. And any way you can fight that, I think is a good way, even if it leads to diabetes down the road.
0: (laughs) See, I, 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 in a, in a way I agree with you, but at the same time, dude, if I had a, if I had any like sugary snacks, the sun wouldn't even be up yet on a morning hunt and they'd be gone. I'd be like, well, <laughs> I got some time here. Yeah. <laughs> I got some you time to kill. Yourself, I guess. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, know thyself. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Mark, uh, thanks for taking time out of your uh, extremely busy day to hop on the podcast and BS with me. I appreciate it. Good luck this upcoming season, man.
1: Yeah, buddy, it's my pleasure. It's always fun. I'm glad we got to do it. I enjoyed the uh, format you ripped off from those Ohio guys. Uh, (laughs) I I send my apologies to them that I had to be a part of this obvious plagiarization of a wonderful original (laughs) idea. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, keep up the good work, man. This is great.
0: There you have it. Huge shout out, Mark, for taking time out of your very busy day to hop on and uh, BS with me for a while. Huge shout out to all of the partners of the nine finger chronicles podcast wasp vortex hunt stand ozonix lone wolf exodus excalibur crossbows please go out and support the brands and support this podcast lastly Huge shout out to each and every one of you. Without you guys, this whole thing isn't possible. So please continue to support the Nine Finger Chronicles by downloading and sharing our content. If you feel like there's something that you've listened to that one of your friends or a new hunter or a seasoned hunter would benefit from, share that information to them. Uh, Follow on Instagram. Follow on uh, Facebook wear your safety harness, good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next week.